This week on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. A new year, a new decade, so let's get things started. We'll welcome Jacob Rue of the Colorado Mammoth, Ian Rubel, defensive coach of the Philadelphia Wings. We'll set you up for week six in the NLL and give you my all-decade team with a twist. All that more on OTCB. Lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, the Lacrosse Flash, and Spotify. My name is Teddy Jenner. It is a new decade and a new year. Hope your holiday seasons were festive and full of love and happiness and family. Uh, we took last week last week off from the show just because uh, I was busy with the Jenner clan. Hope you were able. To enjoy the games over the weekend, it was a busy one in the National Lacrosse League. Biggest weekend of the season so far, the young season, as we had a jam-packed Saturday night with games on Friday and Sunday as well. We'll kind of touch base on some of those games. We're really going to focus on the two matchups this weekend. As mentioned, we'll have Jacob Rue, the hot stick of the Colorado Mammoth, who's going to stop by, plus Ian Rubel, my former teammate with the Victoria Shamrocks, longtime friend, and uh, one of the real good guys in the game of lacrosse. I say that so often, and all of the guys in lacrosse are good guys. But Ian Rubel stands out as one of those guys that I always will have time for and always willing to give his time. So we'll talk to Rue and Rubel in a few minutes. Also, as mentioned, uh, my all-decade team. And now I know some people have been putting these out, but mine's only going to contribute those players who played the entire decade. So unfortunately, Cody Jamison, Curtis Dixon, probably two of the best players over the last few years, Lyle Thompson as well, not going to make my list because unfortunately, they didn't play the full decade. So we'll get into that a little bit later, but let's get care of some housekeeping things here off the top. If you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, you can find me at Off The Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It is a lacrosse show, hence the lacrosse pun. You can also email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We've gotten some good emails from people over the past few weeks just discussing um, Vegas, discussing the rumble on the runway, discussing if New York's going to win a game this year. Uh, A lot of great topics and discussions with fans across the National Lacrosse League. Uh, So keep them coming. Let me know where you're listening from. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. How is the rest of this new season, or new year at least, going to play out? And are there any surprises coming our way? I don't think there's many surprises in the National Lacrosse League more than the fact that both New England and Halifax are 3-0 heading in to the full 2020 part of our schedule. You might have thought both teams would have dropped a game or two, but the fact that both are 3-0 with very impressive gold differentials, you have to give a lot of credit to two goalies that I wasn't sure on at the start of the year. And that's Doug Jamison and Warren Hill. 
If you go back and listen to the podcast from earlier in the the season, heck, if you even go back to the draft, I went on record saying that I wasn't sold on Doug Jameson and I wasn't sold on Warren Hill. Well, I have been completely proven wrong and both guys are playing phenomenal lacrosse right now. Probably the best lacrosse they've ever played in their careers and they can only get better. Warren Hill, 8.67 goals against. Doug Jameson, 9.2 goals against. Those are ridiculous numbers as it stands, but I bet you both feel that they can be better. Now, Mike Poulin at the top of the goaltending standings, he's probably going to have his numbers come back to earth a little bit. Those first couple of games where he was only allowing four goals a game, that's not going to happen too often. So his numbers will come back down to earth to match everybody else's, and they've already started to do that since the Colorado game. But when you look at Doug Jamison and Warren Hill, their bodies of work haven't been as expansive as Mike Poulin or Evan Kirk or Dylan Ward or Nick Rose. These two guys haven't really had a true chance to prove themselves in the National Lacrosse League and they're getting that opportunity right now and they are taking 100% full advantage of this moment. When you go back and look at Doug Jamison's track record over the past few years, last year was the first year he played a pretty much a full season in between the pipes. Just shy of 700 minutes, was a 6-6, had a 12.3 goals against and a .78 save percentage. Those numbers have been shaved in the early stages of this year. Like I mentioned, 9.2 goals against and a .8 to save percentage. He's taking this role and he's understood that this is his opportunity. And I couldn't be happier for the guy. Like I said, I sold him short, probably shouldn't have, and he's proving me wrong and making me eat my words something fierce. Now, on the other hand, Warren Hill was a guy that really didn't have a lot of experience in the National Lacrosse League. When you go back and look at his track record, last year he got into the season late as Rochester's starter. He only played just shy of 400 minutes last year, was 4-2, and 10.36 goals against, and a .81 save percentage. Now, a save percentage is the same, but he's cut his goals against almost by two. That is confidence. That is a guy playing with supreme confidence in his game. That confidence comes from the coaching staff, it comes from their fellow teammates, it comes from their support group, and it comes from within. And I will never say a bad thing about those two goaltenders for the rest of the year. They have proven me wrong, and we're starting to see that from a lot of other guys in the National Lacrosse League right now. And one of those guys is Jacob Rouet of the Colorado Mammoth. Rooster has always been a grinder in this league. And he always will be. But now that the Mammoth have seen a bit of changing of the guard throughout their core group, no more Banesh, no more Jeremy Noble, no more Greer, no more Grant, McLaughlin's been out the past couple of games, Jacob Rue has had the opportunity to really take his game to a completely different level. 
In three games, he's got 14 points, 10 goals, four assists. Last year, he only had 14 goals in all 18 games. His career high is 22 goals. He's going to shatter that. And he's averaging almost five points a game. He's probably going to break his career best of 67 points in a season. Now, he could have the odd off game, but he had seven against Calgary. Sorry, seven against Georgia, five points against Saskatchewan. Calgary only had a pair of goals, but he's still contributing. And he's playing with that confidence that we keep talking about in this episode. And that confidence is huge for young players, especially ones that are stepping up into a new role within their team. If players are stuck in a rut and they're just sort of a a role guy and they're settled in their ways, they they can steadily continue to be effective. And that's the way Rue was in his first three years with the Mammoth. He was a role guy. He was a grinder. He was out there working to get Noble open and get Junior the ball and get Greer the ball and cut through the middle and be a workhorse. He's still doing all of those things, but even more importantly now, he's doing it from a leadership role. He has a lot of young talent underneath him on that right side and in Ryan Lee and Kyle Killen. And Jacob Rue has shown that he can be a leader. In this past weekend against Georgia, he had five goals, two assists. He was an absolute beast out there. And it doesn't come often to score five goals in the National Lacrosse League. He was one shy of the world-famous sock trick, but he'll take it. And he was happy with those five goals and the fact that the shots are starting to drop. Sometimes you go through some times where you don't see him drop as much as you want to. And then uh, to have a game like that... uh... You know, it feels good. So pretty happy with uh, with the outcome there. Ten goals already this year. He only had 14 of all last season. You mentioned balls are starting to drop for you. What's, what's been the biggest factor so far in these first three games? Uh, you know what? It's just we have a solid offense up front. Everyone has confidence in each other. And, you know, we all know that when we have our shots, we take our shots. And so, um, you know, we take our shots when we have our shots. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it's going our, our way so far this year. So, um, I can't say it's just myself. Well, all of us are contributing um, as a whole. So, um, you know, like I said, I'm just lucky to have them drop early on in the season. Yourself, Ryan Lee, and Kyle Killen uh, created a nice little dynamic on that side. Neither of you, or any of you, three of you, are really big guys, short, stocky, but you like to play the style of grit and grind. How's it been playing with those two young guys in these last couple of seasons? Yeah, it's been great. And, uh, you know, Leeser's been there for a few years now with myself and, you know, Killer coming in last year and really stepping up to the plate when he came on in. Um, you know, starting the three of us together this year from game one, you know, we really built a lot of chemistry here on early. And then we're looking to just kill Bill on that. Like you said, you know, we're not all the biggest guys, but we sure, you know, we put our, our full effort in every game and make sure we keep our feet moving on the floor so we're, we're not easy to cover. And, um, you know, that's been kind of our game plan so far and relatively to all of our offense in that sense so um you know we're just making sure we're keeping the bad game plan moving forward we'll talk about the georgia game in a second but let's flash back two weeks ago you guys are on the power play uh i think it was ryan lee or kyle Killen fired a shot over the net off the glass right to you in the middle true or false that was a set play <laughs> that was not a set play um i've actually had a, a goal like that in, in before and i think it was in calgary as well uh and we kind of discussed after you know what maybe that can become a set play um, you know, I was just lucky enough to fall right into my stick in front of the net there. So, 
you know, seeing that, it's like maybe something we can build off of for sure moving into the future. So this weekend against Georgia, uh, an incredible back-and-forth affair. You guys didn't lead until late. You were always down, but you would climb back. You'd go down by one or two, and you'd get yourselves back. What was the message from, from Patty and from Sean offensively for your group to just stick to the process and not get too down every time they would retake the lead? Yeah, a big thing in our offense is just next play. You can't, you can't really dwell on any of the plays in the past, and you can't really look at the score, especially in this league. Something can change within a few minutes. Uh, so, you know, you never really look at the score and get down on what's going on. You just make sure you focus on the next play and keep moving forward. And, uh, you know, to an extent, that's been a lot of our games so far this year. It's been a tight battle. And, you know, you know something can change real quick, and, you know, we always make sure we're staying positive and that, uh, you know, if we keep our mentality right and we keep working, the, the chances will fall away. So, um, you know, it's all about just focusing on what's next. And it's not just your offense. You're getting some contribution from the back end as well. Uh, Gillis had the overtime winner in Calgary. He scored this past weekend in Georgia. And then the captain, Dan Coates, who missed last weekend, got on the score sheet. How nice is it to see the back end guys rewarded? Because they're really a true cog for your team and how well they play defensively. But to contribute with a goal here and there really has to boost their spirits as well. Oh, I, I agree completely, Teddy. You know what? If you go to say, a lot, a lot of the goals they're scoring are big goals for us, too. They're pretty big momentum changers. So, uh, you know, while, like you said, they're stepping up big on the back end, they're doing, they know, they're doing their part in transition as well. So, um, you know, obviously as an offensive, we love to see that as well because, uh, you know, sometimes we can't find the back of the net and they kind of step up and get ourselves going uh, with those big plays. So, um, you know, just those little things really go a long way, and we're pretty happy to see that as a result. You had some time off for the Christmas break. Uh, where did you spend the festive holiday season? Uh, so I got to go home for, for a couple of days and spend some time with uh, my mom and dad and, uh, you know, got to see the pets and spent uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day back at home, um, which is about an hour and a half from where I'm at now in Ottawa. So it was nice to get back, see some family, had Christmas back at our place. Uh, and then, you know, it was like quick, right? You're back for two days and back in the swing of things, especially going into the game on the weekend. So, um, while it was quick, it was nice to get home and, you know, have some family time and get some recovery in as well. What, Bonnie cook you for your first home-cooked meal? Uh, Bonnie was the host. Bonnie was the host, uh, I believe, last year as well. So she, she puts out quite the feast. She spends all day prior and all day the day of on Christmas making sure she's prepped. We, uh, we hosted 12. She had a big turkey stuffing. Um, you know, a lot of our family's bringing in appetizers as well. So uh, we had some egg rolls, a good... Uh, Chicory board and uh, you know all, all the all the bells and whistles. So it was uh, it was quite the spread we had, and it certainly uh, packed on the pounds that day. We won't let Joel Rayner hear the fact that you had <laughs> two plates of food at, yeah. at Christmas dinner. We won't That's let him right. hear that part of the interview. <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, with, with the league playing, you know, earlier and earlier in in the winter, um, we get around Christmas time, we get around New Year's. How hard is it, you know, to to stay away from the extracurriculars? when you know you have a big game coming up? Or is it that hard to deal with? <laughs> no, it, it is hard. Like you said, it, it is hard. And, um, you know, especially around Christmas time, when you get all your family and your friends back together, you got to kind of pick and choose your battles. And, um, you know, obviously Christmas is a time to relax, but, you know, you got to enjoy yourself as well and, and saying that New Year's, New Year's too. But, um, you know, there's bigger tasks and there's bigger jobs at hand and, and so forth. So um, even saying which, big game this weekend coming up. So we're making sure we're staying prepped for that. Uh, you know, I can't say I won't be having a few extracurriculars on uh, on New Year's Eve, but nothing to the substantial um, that'll make me put me out for the New Year's Day. So, you know, trying to just keep it casual for the most part. 
you're you're one of those guys that really takes care of his body away from the rink. Uh, I know you're a big gym guy, but you're also getting into a bit of the yoga. And we saw uh, the piece on Andrew Q during the New England Black Wolves game. He's heavy into yoga. Most people know that I teach yoga, but what's gotten in, gotten you into yoga, and what do you like most about it? Uh, you know what? It's it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Said so. We we did a lot of yoga back in college uh, when I was at Robert Morris, probably about six years ago. Um, and I hadn't done it since then. Uh, and then I, I became employed by Lululemon in in uh, late August. And part of you're Lululemon, a Lululemon. I I, I, I wow. am. Yeah. Since yeah, since August. And so uh, part of the part of the, part of the job there's a lot of perks. One of which being some um, some some classes, some yoga classes that become uh, are sorry that are kind of covered in costs with the with the job. So I get to attend yoga classes um, free of charge because of Lululemon and you know it's really gotten me into it what I like about yoga is one you get the stretching two you get uh you know you get the mental aspect out of it as well where um you know you're holding your poses and making sure you're staying focused during those poses uh and then just the sweat as well you know you feel great coming out of there um getting the sweat out of your body and your body just feels loose so um whereas you feel great physically it's a big mental battle as well and so you know you feel refreshed coming out of that which is a big piece for me do you have a favorite practice of yoga uh, you know what? I kind of mix it up between all three. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll do a flow for the most part. And then if I'm feeling really good, I'll get a power yoga in. Um, and if, if the body's a little bit achy there, I'll get some yin yoga in. So doing the extended poses for about a three or four minutes hold. So you're making sure you're getting a good stretch in the body. For those of you that are skeptical of yoga and think, oh, <laughs> I can't even touch my toes, just do it and understand that it's not about touching your toes and it's not about competition. It's about the breath. It's about holding the pose and being mindful of in that room. Cause once your mind wanders, you lose the focus and you lose the true aspects of being in that yoga room. Yeah, that's just it. And it's a lot more challenging, I think, than a lot of people think. So, and a lot of it being the mental aspect and holding those poses too. So this weekend coming up a, a big battle against Vancouver, who's coming off a, a loss overtime against, san diego but another divisional game these games are always huge but coming off two huge road wins how nice is it going to be back to get inside pepsi center beat off that crowd and play a division rival yeah you know we're really excited it's been a it's been a long while since we've been back in in denver and i think saying which it was was the end of november so um almost over a month now but coming off the big two road wins we got some momentum coming in at home um, but you can't take any game for any game for granted in this league. It's whoever shows up at each game. So um, while we have momentum, we have to make sure we're staying focused and sticking to our game plan coming up. But like you said, we're excited to get back there and play in front of the fans again, especially coming off of that two wins. What's your favorite part part about playing inside Denver's loudest house in lacrosse? Uh, it's an easy one, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of us on the team can attest to this. But just the fans and the energy in that building, it's. I, I personally think, and obviously I'm biased, but I, I think that there's no other there's no other building that compares to, compares to Loud House, especially with the fan aspect. And um, you know they're great; they support us through every endeavor that we have, uh, through the ups and the downs. And they've been with us since day one, so we're pretty happy to be where we are and to have the fan and the support group we do. Uh, I know it's a few weeks away, but uh, February 1st, Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, is it circled on your calendar a little bit? Uh, it is. It certainly is. That's it's quite the opportunity we have in front of us. Uh, well, for both both San Diego and, and us in Colorado, but as well for the league. So um, it'll be a fun time, certainly. And it's one that's been circled for the most part. I want. I've never been to Vegas, so um, I'm excited to see what that's all about. But I think that'll be that'll come after the game, 
you know, but for the most part, just getting out there, expanding the game and, and, you know, and showing how much the NLL can have an impact, uh, you know, nationwide is, is going to be great. There he is. That's Jacob Rue of the Colorado Mammoth. Robert Morris grad living in the capital of Canada right now, enjoying his time there. The funny thing about Jacob Rue is he's one of those guys that has never really allowed or had the opportunity to let his game thrive in the Canadian Summer Leagues. And a lot of that has to do with him going to school and not being able to make the commitment to Senior A. But his time in Senior B has really allowed his game to grow. And we're starting to see that maturity this season with the Colorado Mammoth. The Mammoth will take on the Vancouver Warriors Saturday night as the NLL Game of the Week. You can hear myself, John Gallant, and Jamie Shuchuk with the call from the Pepsi Center Saturday night as the Warriors come to town. And the Warriors are coming off a tough loss to the San Diego Seals. And that is a game this past weekend that Vancouver would like a redo on. You had a team who played four to eight hours before, less than that. They had to travel. You were sitting at home waiting and you had them. It was right there for the taking. And at one point in that game, when, when I was watching it, it really did look like San Diego was gassed. It might have been early in the fourth quarter, late in the third, but there was that one shift where Logan Schuss caused a turnover, then McBride caused a turnover, and then it ended up in the back of the net after about 30 seconds of hard work trying to find loose balls. And San Diego just, they just looked tired. And for a lot of good reasons, they just looked tired. And unfortunately for the Warriors, they didn't capitalize on that. And I don't think that will be the victory that that kind of keeps them out of the playoffs because we still have a long way to go. But if they don't make the playoffs, they probably could go back and look at that game this past weekend as one of the games they probably should have had. I thought Eric Penny was great. I thought he dueled Frank Shiliano quite well. Uh, I love the Wired segment with Eric Penny. And when you can get goaltenders who are talkative, uh, even just general players that are talkative and have some personality, uh, those Wired segments really do well. Go look at the Vancouver Warriors social page. They have about a three-minute video clip of Eric Penny from pregame all the way through the game, TV timeouts, all that stuff. It's really great to hear the inner psyche of a goaltender, especially the little segment where he's talking to Aaron Bold about how he's getting pulled out too much, watching a stick, leaving a short side. It's crazy how goaltenders can see those minute details in their game whilst the game is going on. And being able to fix those little errors as the game goes on, the micromanaging of your own play, is phenomenal to watch because goaltenders are always tinkering with their game because shooters tend to have an advantage because they know where they're shooting. So goaltenders sometimes either have to guess or be reactive instead of preactive. Is that the word I want? Reactive instead of preactive? Sure, let's go with that. So to watch him battle through that game, there was there were some tough times and and... I wanted to hear the moments of Eric 
when he let some of those long outside shots go in and what his reaction was going to be. Obviously, they probably don't want to let us hear too many F-bombs and swears because I'm sure some of those were going through his lips when he was letting some of those goals in. But I think this is something we need to continue to do in the National Lacrosse League just to bring fans a little closer to the game. The NLL wired with the officials has been phenomenal. I thought Ian Garrison uh, did a great job this past week and just how he communicates with the replay crew, um, how he walks through every stage and makes sure everything's right before he leaves the penalty box and we can hear it all. Uh, the discussions between the other officials and, and other players on the floor, I think it's been a real benefit to our game to hear those little things because as we all know, with the music playing within the arena during gameplay, you don't get to hear all that stuff. So really great job by the Warriors and by the National Cross League to get uh, the Eric Penny audio and also the NLO wired with the officials. It, it was phenomenal. But we have to now talk about the play of Brody Merrill. What a leadership moment that was. When your team's 0-3, you're on the road, you're battling, it's your second game of the weekend, last game of the year slash decade, and you're in peril of going 0-4. You need somebody to step up. And if you were playing the overtime challenge game, a lot of people had Berg, a lot of people had Mitch Jones, a lot of people said Kyle Buchanan. Nobody was thinking Brody Merrill. But when he pulled away from Jordan McBride, and he was able to leg away from another Warriors defenseman and then beat Penny five-hole on the breakaway to win it in overtime, that can be a turning point for a team. They're now 1-3. It's a big difference from 0-4. They're only a half game back of Vancouver for that third spot. I believe they're a game back of Calgary for second. So they're still in the, sorry, for third. They're still in the hunt in the NLL West, but remember, being in the hunt may not be good enough this year. Top two teams from each division make it, and then we get two wildcard spots. And as tight as the NLL West is, that game could be huge down the road for San Diego. Like I said, that could be a huge moment for Vancouver going the other way. But you cannot allow yourself to fall too far behind in this Western Division because if you are, your season could be done real soon. And I know a lot of people were thinking that that game Sunday for the Seals was make or break for the season. I'm not sure it was that dire because they still could go on a pretty legit run. They could have ran the table, been 12-4, and four, and possibly even win their division. So it's never over until least late February, early March, if a team is struggling. 0-4 would have been a big hole to climb out of, but that win for the San Diego Seals can really propel them into this new year. They get some time off. They're not on the floor for a couple of weeks, and they can start pushing ahead towards Vegas, towards the rumble on the runway, and some big games down the stretch for this club because they need to start to find some wins. They are at home to Saskatchewan on the 12th. Then they're on the road in Halifax and New York before the Vegas game. 
So within those three games, before they hit Vegas for over the next month, they could go two and one in those games. They could go one and two, oh and three, three and oh, however you want. They could do it. I'm not breaking any news with that statement because that's a true captain obvious statement right there. But this is a big stretch. These three games over this next month for the Seals, they need to find a way to get themselves back to 500 if possible or right in that mix. Because if you get to February and you're still at the bottom of the West, then there starts to be some concern. Like I said, they're off this weekend. They don't play again until the 12th when they host the Saskatchewan Rush. So we'll just have to see how they fare as the season goes on. A couple other games from this past weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia game uh, when we get to Ian Rubel. Uh, Toronto beat Rochester in Rochester 14-11. Halifax goes into Buffalo and beats the Bandits 15-10. And that's a big win for the Halifax Thunderbirds. Puts them 3-0. Gets them a big win over the Buffalo Bandits, a team that's in their division. And another solid win for that group. Saskatchewan pretty much cruised over New York. Now, I know there's some concern in in some Saskatchewan fans' camps that they can only score 11 on that New York squad. Let's think about this. Now, it's not travel for everybody is so far, but a lot of those guys on Saskatchewan are West Coast-based. A lot of Vancouver guys, the Island guys. That's a long travel. And I don't think there's too much panic that they only put up 11 on New York. I think it was a solid game for that club. I think they just went out, got the W, and were happy with the situation. I don't think there's any concern about that game. Obviously, there's some tinkering and tweaks they can make, but I think they're fine. One more note about the Colorado-Georgia game. And the one thing that really impressed me, and we kind of talked about this with Jacob, was the fact that they never allowed Georgia to go on those big runs. And in years past, with teams like Georgia and Saskatchewan, teams that can fill the net, when they would go on four, five, six goal runs, it was usually ball game. And you wouldn't be able to grow or you wouldn't be able to get back into the game. The fact that every time Georgia scored one or two goals, Colorado was able to regain the tie was massive for their confidence as that game went along. Because if you get behind four or five to the swarm, it's real tough to get back. But if you keep it close, there's always that moment where you turn the momentum in your favor. And that momentum came in the fourth quarter when they finally took their first lead. Here comes Colorado on the break, and now they have their first lead of the night. Colorado scores at 11-10 remaining in the ballgame. And the Mammoth have come on the road to Metro Atlanta and seized the lead late. Jordan Gillis with his second goal in as many games. This time may not have been as dramatic as the one in Calgary two weekends ago, but just as important as, again, he takes a ball down in transition, was able to put it high over the shoulder of Mike Poulin, And as you heard in that clip, just four minutes into the fourth quarter, it was Colorado's first lead of the game. It would quickly get tied 11-11 as Shane Jackson would score on the power play 
just a minute and a half later. But then Jacob Ruay with his fifth, Jeff Winnig with the dagger, his first of the season with about five and a half minutes left. And then Dylan Ward would stand on his head in the final few seconds of the game, giving him 40 saves on 51 shots. And the Mammoth will come home this weekend to face the Warriors on a two-game winning streak. So that's good for some of us. But for the Philadelphia Wings and the Calgary Roughnecks, they played a very interesting game on Saturday night. Now, for those that were watching, obviously Calgary was in San Diego Friday night to play the Seals. Then they had to find some way to get some sleep, fly all the way back to Calgary, and then play a game. Now, if you don't know, the travel schedule from San Diego to Calgary is not always the easiest. There's not too many direct flights, and the ones that there are will get, generally get you into Calgary early evening. And the Roughnecks decided, well, that's the flight we're going to take. Now, it's obviously, again, not easy to book an entire lacrosse team on one flight with all your gear, your personnel, all that stuff. But the Roughnecks didn't get to the Saddle Dome until somewhere around 7-ish p.m. Mountain Time. The game was supposed to start at 7.30. So then they delayed the game, pushed it back a little bit, gave the Roughnecks just enough time to get off the bus, put their gear on, and go play. Quick little warm-up. And because they were late, they started the game a man down. That is a very rarely seen thing in the sport of professional lacrosse. Even minor lacrosse, you usually don't see that. There will be times where a team comes out of the locker room a little slow between periods or at half, and a ref will give them a delay a game penalty. But it is very rare to see a team penalized for not getting to the arena on time due to travel. Now, maybe this was a bit of a slap in the face or uh, however you want to call it. A bit of a message sent from the league to the Roughnecks. Plan your travel better. Be there earlier if you can. Now, it's not exactly like it was their fault that they were scheduled on back-to-back games. It's not their fault that there's not exactly the easiest travel schedule from San Diego to Calgary. But as we've talked about on this podcast, on many shows, when you're traveling back-to-back, across borders, across timelines, across weather patterns, there is bound to be a problem or an issue. Now, Calgary could have gotten into the Calgary airport probably in plenty of time, but they still would have had to go through customs, still would have had to get all their equipment bags, make sure they're all there. They still have to get on the bus and get to the arena. There are a lot of things to go wrong between San Diego and Calgary, in that time frame. And I don't think you truly can blame Calgary. Because if they can't get 25, 30 people, including all staff, on a flight early in the morning, they have to be able to take whatever flight they can get. And you have to keep your fingers crossed that everything goes according to plan. It sucks that it happened. 
it's probably not going to be the last time that it happens in our league because we're continually to travel on weekends and busy travel weekends at that, traveling through the winter. It was just a little shocking to see Philadelphia start a man down. Ian Rubel is the defensive coach for the Philadelphia Wings. I'm not sure he's seen anything like it, but his team will take it, they'll take the win, and they'll use that as a building block throughout the season. So I caught up with Rubes. He was enjoying some downtime at home with his boys between the Christmas holidays and work and getting ready for the game against the New York Riptide this weekend, and it's the holidays. How are the kids? What were the presents? we got to find all these things out before we go too deep with Ian Rubel, defensive coach of the Philadelphia Wings. We've been good. Yeah, we've uh, spent uh, most of our time local, just kind of a few busy days, but it's been great. you got a couple boys now? Yeah, two boys, yeah. Seven and ten. They must have hated Christmas. <laughs> yeah, terrible times for them. <laughs> what was the big <laughs> present of the year? Uh, it's uh, video games for these guys. Oh, yeah. what are they into? Yeah. Pretty easy. Uh, my oldest wanted Zelda Breath of the Wild, and my youngest was uh, Zelda Awakening, so pretty easy. Oh, is this all yeah. on Sega Genesis, or what's this? Uh, play- play- uh, oh, this is actually a <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Oh, wow. I know, so many systems now. Yeah, it's not just like back in the day where it was no. going to a cartridge of the Nintendo Switch, of course. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, a big weekend for you guys in Calgary. Obviously, it was a bit of a strange weekend, but you come away yeah. with a win nonetheless. Um, let, let's go back to kind of the start of all that. Calgary traveling from San Diego. You guys got to take warm-up by yourselves. You're in the arena by yourselves. How different was the feeling with Calgary not really being there, traveling back from San Diego? Yeah, it was a little strange, uh, more so for the players, I think, than uh, – than the coaches, but it was, it was a little strange. But, I mean, you, you've, you've lived through it, right? It's the NLL. Uh, mm-hmm. You just kind of adapt to what's going on at the time. Had you ever seen a team start with a two-minute minor like that before? Uh, no, and I don't know exactly what the whole travel arrangements were for those guys, but, no, I've never seen anybody take a penalty to start the game. That, 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 was, that, that, was, that was a new one for me. Yeah. When you were a player, did you always want to get there the night before, the day of? Like, I know – Traveling's hard the National Crossing, but what did you prefer as a player? Uh, I, I like getting there that night. Then you're yeah. there, right? You're you're back, and no matter how late it is, at least you can kind of sleep until you got to get back to the arena. So I, I like to get there as soon as possible. What was the feeling in that room as that game was about to start? Obviously, you're playing a team that had played uh, the day before traveling. Was the team excited? Were they ready? Did they have a lot of confidence going into that game? I think so. Yeah, yeah, we were really excited. It's been it was an odd start for us this year. We had a two week bye, then play a game, and then another week off, and then playing a game. And we've had two tough tests to start the season against Georgia and uh, Calgary. So yeah, the boys were were pretty excited to get going. I don't mean to bring this up, but Trevor Baptiste is one game shy of your career total. Uh, are you going to bench <laughs> him for the rest of the year? No, absolutely not. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited for the guy. I was hoping he would have. Uh, Got that last year, but it's nice to, in game two to get that out of the way for him. So hopefully it uh, opens the door for him now. How have you seen him evolve in his box career? He had a bit of experience, you know, in the Colorado Box League for a bit, and, and he's an incredible talent at the faceoff dot and an incredible athlete in general. But watching Trevor grow and mature in the box game, how have you seen that development? 
it's been unreal. He, uh, he's so open-minded, so easy to coach. And it's funny you bring that up because I actually said to him this year, like you're playing unbelievable. So, uh, I don't know if he's been watching more film or what, what, the what the deal is, but he's been playing unbelievable for us. And he's, he's just a sponge. He takes everything you're saying and, uh, and goes with it. Right. There's no, there's no second guessing or anything. He's just been, he's been honestly like so coachable, uh, just, just a great guy to be around too. And I think that's part of it. He's such a good person that he's just fun and brings energy to the team. Having Brett Hickey back on that offensive side is giving you guys a little bit more balance. How has he fit back in the system having missed most of last year? He's been great. I mean, even though he wasn't in the lineup last year, I mean, he was always a, a vocal leader on our team and putting him back on the floor just puts another threat on that right side for us. I mean, that's a pretty big right side for us. So tough for, tough for teams to handle with Hickey back in the lineup for sure. Has Brandon Miller asked you to come out of retirement like he did? <laughs> no, but I got to tell you, it's great having uh, Miller back there with me because I mean, he's just, he has so much experience in this league and he's seen it all, right? So having him back there is like having another coach at the back end with me. How have you been impressed with, with Zach? Because he's never, you know, since he was in Minnesota a few years ago, he was in and out of their starter and he hasn't really found his role back to that number one guy he's your number one guy in philadelphia uh, how's he been for you guys in that role he's been amazing uh and just another guy that you can tell he's a student of the game he's always got something important to tell the guys or a point on what an offense is going to do so again yeah he's been and he's been playing unbelievable for us i wasn't sure I, like you said i haven't seen a lot of a lot of them before this year uh, but he's been impressive since the get-go this is a team that, that struggled last year. When you look a year ago to now, how much has this team grown? I think we've grown a lot. And, I mean, it's, it's funny to say that because I think we have, speaking specifically about the back end, I think we have about eight new guys that are back end again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that says a lot about the guys that we have returning, like Sharbs and Patton. Uh, Matisse and Jokum and Wagner and Baptiste and Bernsey. Uh, I think it says a lot about their game too and how they've developed and have been able to help these guys along. But, and that's why I think that game that we had this past weekend, a one goal game for us, we lost so many one or two goal games last year. I think the way that we won that game against Calgary has just uh, given us some motivation to move forward with as well. Yeah, a big confidence going into the game this weekend against New York on the road. Um, it's always tough going against a team that you don't have a lot of game film of, but how do you prepare mm. for a team like New York? Nothing's changing for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, we have to prepare for this team just like we would against Calgary, against Georgia. Uh, I think as soon as you look past the team or uh, think that you got an easy weekend, that's that's when you're going to be uh, looking back at it and regretting some stuff. So my preparation is not going to change from, from week to week. I prepare for every team the same way. Paul Day is one of the great coaches in our league. How has your coaching style adapted to working alongside him? I think I've been pretty lucky with uh, both guys that I'm sharing the bench with, with Paul and TK. Uh, mm-hmm. TK uh, seems like an encyclopedia of lacrosse, and he never seems to stop thinking the game. And like you said, Paul's been in, involved in the NLL forever. And it's kind of funny. He was the first coach to cut me, and now I'm working with him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remind him of that? Uh, no, I haven't brought it up. But 
uh, I think it's pretty funny. And in starting my playing career, I started with uh, TK in Columbus, and now I'm starting my coaching career with TK in Philadelphia. So it's all kind of come full circle. How did the coaching lifestyle start for you? Uh, it's funny. I, I never really pursued it. Um, I had, uh, when I started coaching junior, I, I just finished my 14th season with the junior A team in St. Catharines. Wow. And, uh, and that all started because Morris Khan kind of approached me, uh, when I was still playing in Toronto and asked me if I was, had an interest in coaching. And so I kind of jumped at that opportunity and never looked back since. Uh, and then same with Philadelphia. I never really pursued a job in the NLL and an opportunity presented itself and, and I took it. You're a, a student from the Les Bartley School of Coaching. What mm-hmm. memories do you have of him as a style of coach? And what sort of attributes of his style do you like to see in your style of coaching? I think one of the biggest things for me is relationship building. Uh, mm-hmm. Les was always a guy that wanted to know what you're doing, what you're about, what made you tick. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from Les. And also making sure you're bringing in the right pieces that are going to fit with uh, the guys that you're playing with. So I think those are the biggest lessons that I learned from Les. Do your boys know the legend of Ian Rubel as a Victoria Shamrock? <laughs> they have, uh, they, they've watched the war on the floor tape and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's their memories of, of me playing lacrosse. Uh, my youngest wasn't even born when, when I stopped playing and my oldest, I think was two or three years old. So they don't have a lot of memories of my playing days. So no stories of you running the stairs, Memorial Arena with a broken hand, just putting everybody <laughs> to shame. No, no, none of that. <laughs> none of that. <laughs> where, where did that work ethic come from? Because I remember watching, you know, we were on the same team back back then, and, and you were out for a good period of time. But no matter what the, the stage was, no matter where we were in a practice, you always made fine time, found time to go and get your cardio in, to go and put a little bit, bit of extra work in. Where did that work ethic mentality come from? I think it's because I I started behind the behind the ball a little bit in my lacrosse day, uh, playing days. It's, I, I didn't start playing lacrosse till I was I don't know 15, 16 years old. So I always had the feeling that I always had to work harder than everybody else to to earn my spot on the floor. So whenever I was in the gym or at the arena, it's when my feet were on that floor or in the gym, it was I'm going to give you everything I got. So, do, you, do you see that work ethic from, from the guys these days? Because it's a new regime of players in the National Lacrosse League. Yeah, I, I, think you, I think you have to have that. And, and if you don't have that, then you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in. Um, these guys are bigger, faster, stronger. And we were talking about that with Calgary. Calgary's such a big team, and these guys can move. So uh, if you don't have that work ethic, I think you're going to find yourself uh, coming up a bit short. You guys are one-on-one to start the season you're going to be one-on-one going into the new season uh it's a tough east division that you guys are in with georgia new england and new york where do you guys see yourselves in three months time man three three months and i'm not looking that far ahead uh right now i'm just looking at new york uh we got to take it game by game like i said as soon as we look past any teams and kind of be wondering where we should be or where we're at then I think we're going to find ourselves in a difficult spot. So right now I'm looking looking at New York and the riptide, and hopefully we can take that game. Gino's or Sal's, what's your favorite cheese stick? Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to say Pat's. Pat's, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. That was the one I couldn't remember. Are you there every week when you're in town, or do you have a special 
strict diet these days. No, 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 no strict diet, but I don't go every week. Uh, getting older, it's tough to drop those pounds these days. <laughs> <laughs> New York, uh, we, we talked about this New York team. You know, they have the number one overall pick, Tyson Gibson. They're a really young team uh, across the board. But what's your game plan defensively to, to kind of shut them down and keep shots away from Zach Hagen's crease? Yeah, like I said, they got some guys that can put the ball in that for sure. And I think they're a little unorthodox compared to some of the teams we play just because they are a new team, kind of still feeling their but I think we've got to concentrate on what we're trying to do. Um, we have a framework set in place for our defense, and you know, each week we've been reviewing what we're doing and kind of building on ourselves, and I think if we take care of that side of the game, then we can start uh, moving forward and kind of adjusting to where other teams are, but I think we really need to focus, focus on us right now, uh, and I think if we do that, then we'll have a successful weekend again. Is this a playoff team in your mind? I think we are, yeah, yeah. absolutely. We had so many close games last year, and, and like I said, this this game this past weekend, that one goal win for us, I think was huge uh, for us moving forward as a as a unit and building some confidence. That's Ian Rubel, defensive coach for the Philadelphia Wings, and he's right. The Wings did lose a lot of one goal games last year, and if you flip the script in some of those games, maybe they're not as far down the East standings as they were last year, and. You know, they finished 4-14. Four and 14. If you take half of those games that they lose by one goal, they're probably ahead of Rochester for fifth in the division. And who knows, maybe they sneak ahead of New England and get into the playoffs. So when you can start to win those one-goal games, not only does it build confidence in your group, confidence in your fan base, confidence in your coaching staff, but it can really give you momentum heading in week to week because you now know what it takes to get over that hump. You now know that 59 minutes isn't going to get the job done. So that goal by Matt Rambo in just before overtime was a huge turning point for this group. Now they get to go into New York Take on the Riptide, a team that's in their division. It's a team that they should be able to beat. And if they can get on a bit of a winning streak here, then who knows? They've got New York this weekend in New York. Then they go back home to take on the Vancouver Warriors. Then they're on a road in New England to take on the Black Wolves and have to come back home for a Sunday nighter against, or a Sunday after, yeah, it's a Sunday nighter, a Sunday nighter against Rochester. So these four games, even take them through the end of January where they play New York twice, Philadelphia, Rochester, and Georgia. These five games in the month of January are imperative for the Philadelphia Wings if they're going to make noise in that East Division. Because we all know, obviously, New England's good. We all know Georgia is good. And we all expect them to be the top two teams. But remember, there's that wild card game. The 7th and 8th best teams in the entire lacrosse league will make it. So Philadelphia can't be resigning themselves to, oh crap, we're not going to be able to catch Georgia or New England. We're done. They have to keep in mind that wins are wins, build confidence, and have the best records you can by the time that this regular season is over. And sure, maybe you can get into that second spot in the East. But I think they really should be focusing on each game getting better, improving, and if they can find that wild card spot, 
then I think they might be able to do some damage once they get to the playoffs. Sure, one game's a bit of a stretch, but you never know what can happen if a team gets hot at the end of the year. Their last four games of their schedule, at home to New York, at home to San Diego, at home to Toronto, on the road in Halifax. It's not an easy end to their schedule. So this heart of the schedule to start the season, these next five games in the month of January, could be a real telltale sign of how good this Philadelphia Wings team can be. But as mentioned, just two games on the docket this weekend, Philadelphia at New York, Vancouver at Colorado. All games on BR Live. The Colorado-Vancouver game is your game of the week, so you can watch it for free on Twitter, Facebook, and all of the National Cross League social feeds. Before we get out of here, I want to give you my National Cross League team of the decade. Now, as I mentioned off the top, this is going to be a little different than most because most teams of the decade are going to include every player who's played in the league since the start of the decade. But I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm only going to count players who played the entire decade. So you had to have been in the league by 2010, and you still got to be in the league now. Brett Mitski, for the record, is still in this league, even though he's not playing. We're giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's doing the great service of going to firefighter school, becoming a fireman. He would be in the league right now if it wasn't for that. However, guys that were drafted into the league in 2011 don't make my list, unfortunately. So, Jammer, Superman, love ya, but you're not going to be on my all-decade team. So let's start with the forwards. Actually, let's start at the back end. Goaltending. Pretty easy decision here. Matt Vince, Mike Poulin. There were only, I think, three guys that had been in the league the entire decade. The extra guy was, oh, the two guys, Aaron Bold and Brandon Miller, were the other two goalies that had played pretty much the entire decade. Maybe Angus Goodleaf was in there as well. But Poulin and Vince were your dominant two goaltenders of the decade. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Two of the best goaltenders in our game right now today still. On defense, Matt Beers, Greg Downing, Brett Mitski, Scott Campbell, Paul Dawson, Chris Corbeil, and Steve Priolo. Again, Rubish doesn't make my list. He did not play the entire decade. In transition, Brody Merrill, Jordan Hall, Jeff Shatler. Got to have some guys to run the ball up and down the floor. Brody probably does it better than anybody. Hall and Shatler are versatile. I moved them to transition just because lefty O is so deep. Right-handed offense. Three of the best right-handers to ever play our game. Dan Dawson will probably go down as the best. Sean Evans, Callum Crawford. On the other side of the ball, the lefties, Dutch, Doby, Small, Banesh, and Greer. So that is my all-decade team, and let's be honest, if you put that team up against any other team of any other decade, I think we're going to do just fine. Got to scratch a couple of those guys every other night, so maybe our opening game, we sit Greer, go 7-0 go guys, 4 lefts, 3 rights. 
give Jordan Hall the first night off so he can rest up some bumps and bruises, and then give Scott Campbell or Paul Dawson a night off just because they deserve it as well. But this is my all-decade team. It is the best of the best over the last 10 years, and they had to have played all 10 years. It was interesting to go back and look at how many guys were still out there that had played the entire decade. Some of the other names that have been there around since the turn of the decade. But these are my best of the best. Who's on your all-decade team? Let me know. At off the crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Before we get out of here, I want to give a huge congratulations to guys like Ryan Banesh, Callum Crawford, Curtis Dixon, all huge career milestones. Uh, Frank Rezaterritz and Tyler Burton were in there too. Um, Callum Crawford, 1,000 points. Curtis Dixon, 400 goals. Rezaterritz, 400 points. Banesh becomes the ninth all-time leading scorer. He's soon to pass our good friend Lewis Ratcliffe for ninth all-time in goals. Well, I think Lewis is sixth all-time in goals. He's four ahead of Benny. Um, and then Tyler Burton, a thousand career face-off wins. That is a guy who has really turned his life around, cleaned himself up, and become one of the premier role models in our league. Um, a, a truly, truly great story is a turnaround for, for Tyler Burton. Um, he was a big part of Rochester's three-peat. He's come over to, to Calgary and really solidified his role as one of the best draw guys in the National Lacrosse League, but he's also uh, a steady defender, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and is incredibly reliable when you put him out there. Anytime you need a loose ball off a draw, you got him out there. Anytime you need a big defensive shift, Burton's out there. And it's amazing to see him come this far. Uh, I still can't believe Vancouver let him go a few years ago, but when one door closes, another door opens, and Calgary was happy to open that door for Burton, and he has thrived since arriving in Calgary. That'll do it. First show of a brand new year and decade. Thanks to Jacob Ruway. Thanks to Ian Rubel. And as always, thanks to you, the fans, for listening. Obviously, my picks, wings, and mammoth. And if you're in Denver, pop up and say hi. Always love meeting the mammoth fans. And if maybe you're a Vancouver fan, down in Denver. We'll see you there. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at off the crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the games, everybody. And until next time, be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw. I was